Chapter Five, Part Three of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard by Baroness or Z. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Day's Folly, Part Three. The next day we were back in town. Already at Bristol, we had bought a London morning paper which contained in its centre page a short notice under the following startling headlines: The Somersetshire Outrage, Amazing Discovery by the Police, An Unexpected Clue. The article went on to say. We are officially informed that the police have recently obtained knowledge of certain facts which establish beyond a doubt the motive of the brutal assault committed on the person of Miss Jane Turner. We are not authorized to say more at present than that certain startling developments are imminent. On the way up, my dear lady had initiated me into some of her views with regard to the case itself, which at the chief's desire she had now taken entirely in hand, and also into her immediate plans, of which the above article was merely the preface she it was who had officially informed the press association and needless to say the news duly appeared in most of the london and provincial dailies how unerring was her intuition and how well thought out her scheme was proved within the next four-and-twenty hours in our own little flat when our emily looking somewhat important and awed announced her serene highness the countess of hohengeberg h s h the conspicuous initials in the personal columns of the west of england times you may imagine how i stared at the exquisite apparition all lace and chiffon and roses which the next moment literally swept into our office past poor open-mouthed emily had my dear lady taken leave of her senses when she suggested that this beautiful young woman with the soft fair hair with the pleading blue eyes and childlike mouth had anything to do with a brutal assault on a shop-girl the young countess shook hands with lady molly and with me and then with a deep sigh she sank into the comfortable chair which i was offering her speaking throughout with great diffidence but always in the gentle tones of a child that knows it has been naughty she began by explaining that she had been to scotland yard where a very charming man the chief i presume had been most kind and sent her hither where he promised her she would find help and consolation in her dreadful dreadful trouble encouraged by lady molly she soon plunged into her narrative, a pathetic tale of her own frivolity and foolishness. She was originally Lady Muriel Wolfe Strogham, daughter of the Duke of Weston, and when scarce out of the schoolroom had met the Grand Duke of starkburg nauheim who fell in love with her and married her. The union was a morganatic one, the Grand Duke conferring on his English wife the title of the Countess of Ohengeberg and the rank of Serene Highness. It seems that, at first, the marriage was a fairly happy one, in spite of the bitter animosity of the mother and sister of the Grand Duke, the Dowager Grand Duchess, holding that all English girls were loud and unwomanly, and the Princess Amélie seeing in her brother's marriage a serious bar to the fulfillment of her own highly ambitious matrimonial hopes. "'They can't bear me, because I don't knit socks, and I don't know how to bake almond cakes,' said her dear little Serene Highness, looking up with tender appeal at Lady Molly's grave and beautiful face and they will be so happy to see a real estrangement between my husband and myself. It appears that last year, while the Grand Duke was doing his annual cure at Marienbad, the Countess of Hohengeberg went to Folkestone for the benefit of her little boy's health. She stayed at one of the hotels there, merely as any English lady of wealth might do, with nurses and her own maid, of course, but without the paraphernalia and nuisance of her usual German retinue. Whilst there she met an old acquaintance of her father's, a Mr. Rumbold, who is a rich financier, it seems, 
and who at one time moved in the best society, but whose reputation had greatly suffered recently, owing to a much-talked-of divorce case which brought his name into unenviable notoriety. Her Serene Highness, with more mopping of her blue eyes, assured Lady Molly that over at Schloss Starkburg she did not read the English papers, and was therefore quite unaware that Mr. Rumbold, who used to be a persona grata in her father's house, was no longer a fit and proper acquaintance for her. "'It was a very fine morning,' she continued, with genuine pathos, "'and I was deadly dull at Folkestone. Mr. Rumbold persuaded me to go with him on a short trip on his yacht. We were to cross over to Bologna, have lunch there, and come home in the cool of the evening. And, of course, something occurred to disable the yacht.' concluded lady molly gravely as the lady herself had paused in her narrative of course whispered the little countess through her tears and of course it was too late to get back by the ordinary afternoon mail-boat that boat had gone an hour before and the next did not leave until the middle of the night so you perforce had to wait then and in the meanwhile you were seen by a girl named jane turner who knew you by sight and who has been blackmailing you ever since how did you guess that ejaculated her highness, with a look of such comical bewilderment in her large blue eyes, that Lady Molly and I had perforce to laugh. "'Well,' replied my dear lady after a while, resuming her gravity, "'we have a way in our profession of putting two and two together, haven't we? And in this case it was not very difficult. The assignations for secret meetings at out-of-the-way railway stations, which were addressed to H.S.H. in the columns of the West of England Times recently,' gave me one clue, shall we say? The mysterious assault on a young woman, whose home was close to those very railway stations, as well as to Bristol Castle, your parents' residence, where you have frequently been staying of late, was another piece that fitted in the puzzle, whilst the number of copies of the West of England Times that were found in that same young woman's room helped to draw my thoughts to her. Then your visit to me to-day. It is very simple, you see. I suppose so said h s h with a sigh only it is worse even than you suggest for that horrid jane turner to whom i had been ever so kind when i was a girl took a snapshot of me and mr rumbold standing on the steps of hotel des bains at boulogne i saw her doing it and rushed down the steps to stop her she talked quite nicely then hypocritical wretch and said that perhaps the plate would be no good when it was developed and if it were she would destroy it i was not to worry she would contrive to let me know through the agony column of the west of england times which as i was going home to bristol castle to stay with my parents i could see every day but she had no idea i should have minded and all that sort of rigmarole oh she's a wicked girl isn't she to worry me so and once again the lace handkerchief found its way to the most beautiful pair of blue eyes i think i have ever seen i could not help smiling though i was really very sorry for the silly emotional dear little thing and instead of reassurance in the west of england times you found a demand for a secret meeting at a country railway station yes and when i went there terrified lest i should be seen jane turner did not meet me herself her mother came and at once talked of selling the photograph to my husband or to my mother-in-law she said it was worth four thousand pounds to jane and that she had advised her daughter not to sell it to me for less what did you reply that i hadn't got four thousand pounds said the countess ruefully so after a lot of argument it was agreed that i was to pay jane two hundred and fifty pounds a year out of my dress allowance she would keep the negative as security but promised never to let anyone see it so long as she got her money regularly 
It was also arranged that whenever I stayed with my parents at Bristol Castle, Jane would make appointments to meet me through the columns of the West of England Times, and I was to pay up the installments then, just as she directed. I could have laughed if the whole thing had not been so tragic, for truly the way this silly, harmless little woman had allowed herself to be bullied and blackmailed by a pair of grasping females was beyond belief. "'And this has been going on for over a year?' commented Lady Molly gravely. "'Yes, but I never met Jane Turner again. It was always her mother who came.' "'You knew her mother before that, I presume?' "'Oh, no. I only knew Jane because she had been sewing-maid at the castle some few years ago.' "'I see,' said Lady Molly slowly. "'What was the woman like whom you used to meet at the railway stations, and to whom you paid over Miss Turner's money?' "'Oh, I couldn't tell you what she was like. I never saw her properly.' "'Never saw her properly?' ejaculated Lady Molly, and it seemed to my well-trained ears as if there was a ring of exultation in my dear lady's voice. "'No,' replied the little countess ruefully, "'she always appointed a late hour of the evening, and those little stations on that line are very badly lighted. I had difficulties getting away from home without exciting comment, and used to beg her to let me meet her at a more convenient hour, but she always refused.' Lady Molly remained thoughtful for a while, then she asked abruptly, why don't you prosecute jane turner for blackmail oh i dare not i dare not ejaculated the little countess in genuine terror my husband would never forgive me and his female relations would do their best afterwards to widen the breach between us it was because of the article in the london newspaper about the assault on jane turner the talk of a clue and of startling developments that i got terrified and went to scotland yard oh no 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 Promise me that my name will be dragged into this case. It would ruin me for ever. She was sobbing now. Her grief and fear were very pathetic to witness, and she moaned through her sobs. Those wicked people know that I daren't risk an exposure, and simply prey on me like vampires because of that. The last time I saw the old woman, I told her that I would confess everything to my husband. I couldn't bear to go on like this. But she only laughed. She knew I should never dare. When was this? asked Lady Molly about three weeks ago, just before Jane Turner was assaulted and robbed of the photographs. How do you know she was robbed of the photographs? She wrote and told me so, replied the young countess, who seemed strangely awed now by my dear lady's earnest question, and from a dainty reticule she took a piece of paper, which bore traces of many bitter tears on its crumpled surface. This she handed to Lady Molly, who took it from her. It was a typewritten letter, which bore no signature. Lady Molly perused it in silence first, then read its contents out aloud to me. To H.S.H., the Countess of Hohengenberg. You think I have been worrying you the past twelve months about your adventure with Mr. Rumbold in Bologna. But it was not me. It was one who has power over me, and who knew about the photograph. He made me act as I did. But whilst I kept the photo, you were safe. Now he has assaulted me and nearly killed me, and taken the negative away. I can and will get it out of him again but it will mean a large sum down. Can you manage one thousand pounds? When did you get this? asked Lady Molly. Only a few days ago, replied the Countess. And, oh, I have been enduring agonies of doubt and fear for the past three weeks, for I had heard nothing from Jane since the assault, and I wondered what had happened. You have not sent a reply, I hope? No, I was going to, when I saw the article in the London paper, and the fear that all had been discovered threw me into such a state of agony that I came straight up to town and saw the gentleman at Scotland Yard, who sent me to you. Oh, 
she entreated again and again, "'you won't do anything that will cause a scandal. Promise me, promise me. I believe I should commit suicide rather than face it, and I could find a thousand pounds.' "'I don't think you will need to do either,' said Lady Molly. "'Now may I think over the whole matter quietly to myself?' she added, and talk it over with my friend here, I may be able to let you have some good news shortly. She rose, intimating kindly that the interview was over, but it was by no means that yet, for there was still a good deal of entreaty and a great many tears on the one part, and reiterated kind assurances on the other. However, when, some ten minutes later, the dainty clouds of lace and chiffon were finally wafted out of our office, we both felt that the poor, harmless, unutterably foolish little lady looked distinctly consoled and more happy than she had been for the past twelve months. End of A Day's Folly, Part 3